The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. So this morning we're going to focus our attention in Genesis chapter 21. I'm going to be reading there in just a moment. Genesis 21 verses 1 through 7. But here's what I want you to see, what I want to accomplish with you today. I want you to see that Genesis chapter 21 verses 1 through 7 should not be read in isolation. This account is a part of a wider story, a story that began in Genesis chapter 11. That this is an ongoing narrative. I I have in my office uh, a a new uh, Bible that Crossway put out. It's actually five volumes. It's the Bible with no verses or chapters. So you're just reading it as it was originally written because the verses and chapters were added later as a narrative of just a a, a story. So it's more laid out as this is the story of Abraham, this is the story of Isaac, et cetera. Uh, Very helpful to grasp how this goes together. But I want you to see the wider story of Abraham. Then, then, as we come to an end of the message, I want us to see that this is a part of the big story. The story of Redemption. We want to clearly see the gospel in Genesis today. So Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to stand as I read God's word. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, whom, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's pray. Lord, we plead now that you would help us to awaken from our sleep, to physically pay attention. And Lord, that you would do in us, Holy Spirit, what only you can do. Awaken us to life cause us to see your story today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're gonna work our way back to chapter 21. Let's go back to chapter 11. Now here's, here's what I'm gonna do. Some of you are gonna say, man, we've been walking through this. I got it. <clears throat> so I had somebody come up to me at eight o'clock service lady in her late 70s, been in this church her whole life, sat through the entire Genesis story, and she said, in the introduction, I saw something I'd never seen before. Okay? So I'm not going to assume you're getting all this. 
So let's, let's work our way back through it and let's make sure we get it. For those of you who are new today and been here the last several weeks, great. You're going to be able to clue in exactly where we are and what we're doing. So Genesis chapter 11, we're introduced to Abraham is that he is the son of Terah from Haran. He's from modern day Iraq. He's the Ur of the Chaldeans. And that Abram's wife's name is Sarai. That's in verse 29. And then in verse 30, it says, now Sarah was barren and she had no child. Now, you might have slept through this class, but you learned probably multiple times in English in high school that every good story has a conflict. So the conflict of this story is introduced from the very beginning. Sarah is barren, has no children. Then in chapter 12, you're told in verse 4, that Abraham is 75. So you got an old man and a barren woman, to which God makes a promise, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in, all you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this was this is important. This was a pagan man from a pagan family in a pagan country. There was nothing good in Abraham that makes God choose him. It is God's grace alone that he chooses Abraham and promises to him that he's going to make him a great nation and through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this pagan man from a pagan family, from a pagan nation, obeys God, verse four. So Abram went. Did exactly as God told him. Now, we know here that God has made a promise kind of broad at this point, that God's going to resolve this problem that Abraham and Sarah have. He gets a little more specific in chapter 13, verse 16. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Now, can you count the dust in your yard? No. So God's speaking in hyperbole here that there's going to be more people than you can possibly count. In chapter 15... Beginning with verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, will you give me, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you were able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here God is clear that from Abraham himself, he's going to father a child. And that from the descendants of this child, God's offspring are going to be more than the stars that you can number. And we know from Galatians that the word offspring here is singular. It's ultimately pointing to the offspring who is Christ. Now, from Genesis chapter 15, 10 years pass. And Sarah, who's now 75, and Abraham is now 85, comes up with a plan. 
It's a man-made plan. She says, you take Hagar, my servant, and you take her and from her conceive a child. Abraham, like Adam, in the very beginning of Genesis, says nothing, simply does what his wife tells him to do. He takes Hagar and she gives birth to a son, Ishmael. Now, even though it initially results in conflict between Sarah and Hagar, they settle into the fact, it appears, that the situation's been satisfied. God promised Abraham would have a son. It appears Ishmael's the one. And they continue on as if this is solved for 13 years. Then you come to chapter 17. The conflict rises. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, if you continue in verse 15, it says, the Lord God said to Abraham, or God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, she shall not be called Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her and I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may be lived before you. In other words, Abram's, Abram's convinced. Here's the solution. Ishmael's the one. Let him be the one that this covenant is going to be established for. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Now, the word Isaac means laugh, or he laughs. Now this story continues in chapter 18 as God again visits Abram in a theophany, a place in time and space where God appears. And he says in chapter 18, verse 10, I will surely return to you about this same time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, now it's impossible for her to have a baby. So Sarah laughed to herself. It's a laughter of hard to believe, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? In other words, she believed me. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son, but Sarah denied it and said, I, didn't laugh. I did not laugh. Technically, she didn't laugh out loud, but God knew what she did in her head. For she was afraid and said, no, but you did laugh. So here's what we're gonna understand now. Sarah laughs because without the Lord God, the fulfillment of God's promise would be impossible. We've got a timetable now. God says within a year, child's going to be born. Going to be born to a 90-year-old woman and to a 100-year-old man. 
So after 25 years, resolution to the conflict is finally in sight. But you have Genesis chapter 20 before you have chapter 21. And remember, when God sent Abram out out of his land, the Chaldeans, he goes down into the promised land, looks around, and then a famine ensues. He ends up in Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, he tells Pharaoh, Sarah's who? His sister. Now, you'd think he learned. Now, we're on a timetable now. We're one year. God's saying, this woman's going to have a baby. And he goes into the, to, to the land of Gerar among Abimelech. And, and if, actually, I'm going to look at verse 13 first of chapter 20. It says, when God calls me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. So this is, this is Abraham's plan all along. That every time they venture out of the land, you say you're my sister, which technically she is. She's his half-sister. And he does this again. It says, chapter 20, verse 1, when Abraham journeyed, the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. He, journeyed, he sojourned in Gerar. And Abram said to his wife, Sarah, of his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, this, this, this is a threat, folks. <laughs> Abraham has, has placed the work of God in harm's way. This is a quote. On the brink of Isaac's birth story, here is the very promise in jeopardy, traded for personal safety. If it is ever to be fulfilled, it will owe very little to man. Morally as well as physically, it will clearly be achieved by the grace of God. Here's what I want you to grasp. I've both sat under preaching and I've preached incorrectly this way. I've opened my Bible into the Old Testament and I've approached stories about people as if the person was the point. Abraham is not the point. Sarah is not the point. The protagonist, that means the leading character, the leading character in Genesis 11 to 21 in fact, in fact, this will help you with your Bible. The leading character from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22 is God. He's who you focus on. So the resolution here is going to come from God. And, and God is the one who comes in verse 3 of chapter 20 to Abimelech in a dream and says, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman who you have taken, for she's a man's wife. And Abimelech had not approached her. That's a good point. It means he hasn't violated her. And she said, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he himself not say she's my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother and the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. I've done this. And God said in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. It is I who kept you from sinning against me. You see that? Kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you will surely die and all who are yours. Now, this is one of those good moments where Abimelech listens to God and returns Sarah to Abraham. Then you come to chapter 21. And just very simply stated, the resolution to the conflict occurs. 
it says it this way. The Lord visited Sarah. There's the point, friends. The Lord visited Sarah. And it is the Lord God who provides according to his word at the proper time. The Lord visited Sarah, I'd underline this, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. So finally, after 25 years, many adventures, 10 chapters of Genesis, the resolution comes. The Lord visits Sarah as he said. He did for Sarah as he had promised, spoken in a very matter-of-fact way, emphasizing exactly what God had promised. In Genesis chapter 17, 15 through 19, and Genesis chapter 18, 9 through 14, we've already looked at these promises. The promise of a son, a promise that God would keep his covenant, a promise that God was going to multiply a people. The point in these first two verses is to stress that there must be a fulfillment to God's promise. It is to stress the reliability of the word of God. Verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. This is all writing on what God had said he was going to do and that God always does what he says. There's also a repetition going on in this text, not just in these two verses, but in what follows, is that Abraham is old. He's always 100, that's obvious, but the Bible doesn't make sure that you get this. In his old age, in the Hebrew, that means he's in the oldest age category. When I moved here 25 years ago, as youth pastor, 25 years old, uh, whippersnapper, uh, I thought it was funny, I was meeting people and I met this group of men and they said, yeah, we're the Carruthers class. Now, those of you who are new to Gastonia, that was the dominant nursing home here at the time. It's still here. Uh, so those guys with a sense of humor and a sense of reality as to who they are were saying this, we're the oldest dudes here. You don't get in an older age category than you do than the Carruthers class. The next class, one of them said to me, the next class will join is heaven. So they understood and grasped the fact that they were old men. Now the emphasis is not that Abraham is an old man. The emphasis is on what the Lord has done, on what the Lord has accomplished. So again, in these next few verses, as his age of 100 years old is brought to bear again, the point is not Abraham's age, but God's power and God's authority that results in the birth of Isaac and then the obedience of Abraham. So Abraham obeys the word of the Lord. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. The redundancy of the Bible there is important. Here we're talking about the exact promised one. They named him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now here's what's significant. Abraham says nothing. This is the same way it was in chapter 12 when God appears to him the first time. Abraham doesn't utter a word. He just does what God told him to do. Here, again, Abraham obeys God exactly as God tells him to. And let's flip back to chapter 17 because I want you to see clearly these two things God tells him to do. 
Chapter 17, verse 9. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So God puts a time on when this is to occur. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or, or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in the house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So just like circumcision is undoable, once it occurs, it's permanent. God is saying this is a sign of the permanent everlasting covenant that is made. Verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God un made this clear and Abraham understood the emphasis and importance of what God was laying down. And by faith, Abraham believes this of God and obeys. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. Further, God tells him in verse 19, you shall call his name Isaac. He laughs. Now this name is to be a reminder to Abraham and Sarah of the incredible way they saw that this is hard to believe. How is God going to do this? But we know from Hebrews they believed. They believed in what God was doing. So the child was a reminder not then only of their difficulty to believe, but that name is also to be a reminder of the joy that they experience. Because watch this. The last thing we see is that Sarah rejoices in the Lord. And Sarah said, he has made laughter for me. It's the same Hebrew word. Now, she's not laughing now because this is hard to believe. Here he is. The child is here. God has made joy for me. I didn't make it for myself. Abraham, didn't, we, we didn't by chance, this didn't happen. We didn't take matters into our own hands. God has made joy. He has made laughter for me. And then it expands. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. So everyone who, who hears of what God has done, what God has promised is gonna share in this joy. So just as we think of of the doubting laughter, we must think of the joyful laughter, the laughter that is full of praise and admiration for the Lord. Now, friends, I, I may not be the smartest guy. I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. And there have been times as I've worked through Genesis to where I've been challenged to clearly see the gospel, but it's so obvious here it's hard to miss. The gospel is all over this text. God is preparing you for the bigger story here. You see, God promises a son. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Similar, but not the same. God sends his Son conceived miraculously. Born of the Virgin Mary. And Mary, just like Sarah in Luke chapter 1, sings a song of joy. Now here's what I want you to see about this song. It's not only a joyful song. Mary understands that she's joining into a story that started a long time ago. And a story that's going to continue way beyond her. Watch this. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What's she saying? Mary's saying that the fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham all the way back there in Genesis chapter 12 has been conceived in her womb. And from her, God is going to bless the nations. Just like God had said to Abraham and Sarah, you name this boy something specific. You name this boy Isaac. He laughs. God said to Joseph, Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Just like the word Isaac is significant, it means he laughs. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. There's another guy in the Bible named Jesus. You say it different though. Yeshua, am I cluing you in? Joshua. God through Joshua, as the story unfolds, is showing Yahweh saves. Friends, Jesus Christ is the one who has saved us from our sins. And just as God promised over and over again that this child was coming in a very special way, miraculously through a virgin. He promised over and over again that this child would live a perfect life. And he promised repeatedly that this child would suffer for our sin in our place. And he promised that he would live again after he was killed. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death in our place, was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave and we join in the laughter of Sarah. And he who hears will laugh over me. We join in the joy of Sarah 
and understanding that what God said he would do, he has done. And we say with Sarah, only God could do this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11 says, By faith Sarah received power to conceive even when she had, was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So what the Bible is saying is God took a dead man and, about, and, a, and a barren woman and gave the power to conceive. And from them came God's blessing and that by faith. So I lead you to a question of faith. And what does faith look like? What does trusting and believing in God look like? So I frame it in this question. Am I trusting and rejoicing in the fulfillment of God's promise through Jesus Christ the Lord? It's not just that I'm saying, what's well, a factual event? Jesus was born, he died, and the whole cross and resurrection thing, eh, not really 100% sure about that. No, it's trusting and believing that not only historically did Christ accomplish what he did, but he accomplished spiritually for us what he promised he would do. And that in trusting and believing that, we rejoice in the fulfillment of what Christ has done. Now, this is what Paul's getting to in Romans chapter 4. When he ties together our faith with Abraham, he says in verse 16 in chapter 4, this is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why God, that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, we don't believe in a promise that is to come. We believe in a promise fulfilled. That just as God promised from the beginning, we trust that Christ has come and he has fulfilled what God said he would do. Now, when, when, we, when we trust, when we believe when we look to Christ alone for our salvation? The question is why? Answers in verse 17. As it is written, I made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, 
who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. I don't understand what you get at, preacher. Let me answer it with 1 Peter 1, 3. Hear me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection has been applied to our hearts and lives, that God has caused us to be born again. Just as God caused this dead man and barren woman to have a child, God has given new life to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have been born again to a living hope. That means it affects our life right now. It's not just something we believed, past tense. We are believing. We are trusting. And because we're trusting, we are rejoicing. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. Now I'm going to push back to you for a moment because this is what I'm watching happening. I'm watching a temporal generation treat Christianity temporally. You say, what does that mean? People are living in the moment. They're living for the next tweet, the next Instagram post, the next Facegram, whether I get liked or not. What's the next experience I can have? What am I have for lunch? And we're missing the fact that something eternal that affects our life and our eternity forever has transpired that affects everything about us. So when the Bible says rejoice in the Lord, that means we rejoice in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. This story never gets off our minds. Why? Because the moment I am born again, I'm brought into the story. I am now a part of the story. I am one of Abraham's descendants. I'm one of the grains of dust. I'm one of the stars of the sky. I'm one of his. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. We just flipped the verse. All of Abraham's children rejoiced that they have seen that day. We see it and we are glad. But we also rejoice that he's coming. We rejoice in a salvation that is to be fully revealed when Christ our Lord returns. We rejoice that he's gonna usher in his kingdom forever and forever, permanently. He said it. He will do it. Christ is coming. Christ has come. And because he has come, we trust in his coming. We believe. So church, believers in this room, I'm calling on you now to together with other children of Abraham, to rejoice in the Lord and to confess together through song that we believe. 
And as believers confess, it is my prayer that God will awaken some of you to life. That the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and people will be made new. And that you will join our song. You will join with us and say, we believe. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. This is your story. My prayer all day is not to butcher your story. Not to make it something it's not. You didn't need my help. You don't need our help. But you've told us to tell it. So I believe your word, Jesus. Believe what you've said. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. So your word has been proclaimed today. Bring faith now. Encourage your people. And call those outside of the family to faith. Transform. Make dead men live. Do what only you can do, O oh God. I confess, you alone are the God who saves. We come now to tell you we believe. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.